Well, good morning. Here we are once again. We've got a lot of work to do. We're, this is the next to last lesson in the book of Ecclesiastes. When we started this, we had no idea that we would be spending 8, 10, 12 weeks at home, whatever it's going to end up being, to make sure that the product is there for our staff to be able to get to our members. We record these uh, at least a week and a half, maybe two and two and a half weeks early, so that if I am ill or one of them is ill, we can still get all of this to our members. So far, we've all been healthy, and we pray that you are healthy as well. Again, here's our next to last lesson. As we enter chapter 9, we're going to find something brewing that you might not notice. So hang in, because at the end of the book, he changes everything. At the end of the book, some of the meanings that we've attached to words will change. It's rather like the classic movie Sixth Sense, where in the last few seconds, something is said that changes absolutely everything you have just seen. And just it left people's jaws dropping. I won't spoil it, even though it's been out there forever. Get See it. It's a brilliant example of what the teacher is going to do here. But also remember this. When you're reading scripture, you're reading somebody else's mail. The teacher did not give us this book in this form. And by the way, there are, I really, you'd have to search a very long time to find somebody that says Solomon wrote the book. He might have written some of the content, but if you remember when you read the book, it is given an introduction by somebody who is not the teacher. And the end is written by somebody who is not the teacher, saying, we've collected these things from the teacher. And so it is somebody collecting sayings of somebody else and then sending them to a third party. And we don't know any of these players. We have to gain some context when we can. Illustrating this point almost perfectly is a little odd story in chapter nine. Many armies come up against this small little town that there's no way they can defend themselves. They don't have enough people. They certainly don't have enough men of war, but they do have one wise man. And the teacher then just reminds people that the wise man used his words and it ended the battle and that people later forgot the name of the wise man. And that's it. And if, if you're sitting around a campfire, this is the worst campfire story ever because there are no details. Because the people he wrote it to and the people who received it all knew the details. We don't. But he does wrap it up. And he wraps it up in chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. With two very powerful verses, it would be nice to have written down somewhere where you can see them from time to time. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. I mean, every, every word here is golden. We don't need to shout. We don't need to shout over each other. We don't need to multiply words. We'll get to that in a bit. All we need is wisdom, and wisdom doesn't need shouting. It's powerful enough on its own. Truth does not need you to have righteous indignation and stomp about the room. Truth is powerful enough on its own. It will work. Just use truth. Just use wisdom. And then wisdom is better than weapons of war. War has stopped some horrific things, such as the gulags, the, um, uh, the death camps of the Nazis, but most of the time, war is just a meat grinder for the common man. 
And the beneficiaries are those who make the implements of war and the politicians who work with them. Wisdom would be a better move than war. Again, I can't say that all war has uh, accomplished nothing because we, we sometimes have to defend, and I get that. But let's always think, first of all, where does war begin and where does it end? And both times it begins and ends at a table. What if we just worked it out at the table instead? And then that whole idea of one center destroys much good. It only takes one kid to run the whole field trip, right? It only takes one parent to complain about Christmas plays and uh, their religion, and that shuts down the kid's ability to sing Christmas carols and have a play. We've seen this. Why would they feel the need to shut down the joy of so many others? Because foolishly, they feel that their way and their feelings take precedence over yours. Wise people, they don't stomp around complaining at things. Oh, there's more here. This is the still small voice that God uh, approached uh, Elijah with. God wasn't in the earthquake, the fire, or the wind. He was in the still small voice. Just keep that in mind. Chapters 10 and 11 are right back into the proverb style of writing, which means it's like a stone skipping across a lake. Uh, different verses are not necessarily connected to each other. And so we're going to move them around so we can have one coherent line to take through this. Uh, basically, keep this in mind as the meta theme. You don't learn by talking. You learn by listening. Now, some of you are verbal processors, and if the others don't know what that means, that means these people, I, I had a verbal processor friend who used to walk into my office and with no, hello, Patrick, how are you doing? Do you have any time? He would just start talking as soon as he walked through the door. And I just kind of phrase it going, okay, here, go, here goes an hour, maybe, because I knew him, loved him, knew him. This was his pattern. And he'd start off on one side of an issue and just be upset and such. And, and he would work. I'm shorting this. By the time he got to the end of it, he had talked himself to the other side now. And he got it. And everything was okay. And he'd kind of blink and look around and say, hey, it's good to see you. I'll, you know, hope to see you again soon. Hope your day goes great. And he'd leave. Okay. But we need to be careful about things like this. Consider your face. Your face is an information intake device. Two eyes. It has one nose, but two nostrils filtering through sinuses that are multiple in here. Two ears. Your skin is an, is an information intake device. Uh, touching, wind, cold, all of that, you're learning through your, your skin. It only has one information sharing device, a mouth, and God caged it with teeth. There might be a lesson here. We don't need to multiply our words. And in fact, that's what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly, and at the end, they're wicked madness, and fools multiply words. Just be humble, speak little. And if you're a verbal processor, be very, very, very careful. And avoid arguments that don't really matter. That's a big part of the New Testament as well. 
in Romans 14, it really opens by saying, just don't get into disputes about argument, you know, about disputable matters. Don't argue about disputable matters. And if you can argue over it, it is disputable. So he just says, just back off. This is the opposite of, let's say, sports talk radio or ESPN shows where they're shouting at each other and, and at least acting anger. It could be faux anger and taking sides and the like over something which will be done over, forgotten, and will not matter tomorrow. And this is what they do for a living. Okay. Maybe they, they, maybe they take their, their big salary from all of this and feed orphans all over the world then. Good, fine. But man, that would be a hard way to make a living. And it's a dangerous way because the more words you speak, the more there is to judge you and to judge, be judged by God. This, this goes on um, in Ecclesiastes. Let's just take a look at the first seven verses. And while the, the scriptures may be up, I'm, I'm going to be breaking in from time to time. You can just look at the scriptures. Look at the opening here. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell. <clears throat> okay, there's an opening. Uh, if you uh, give somebody a really nice thing of perfume and they open it up and there's a dead fly in it, they will not notice the perfume. They'll notice the fly. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Need to stop here. This is, I have seen this misused. This is not a political right and left statement. That comes more from Freudian uh, psychology than anything to do with, uh, with scripture. He is merely saying that fools and the wise don't tend to walk in the same group. They don't seem to make the right, the same choices. Notice what one chooses. Notice what the other chooses. That's what he's talking about. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense. And show everyone how stupid they are. Parents, <clears throat> I know that you've told your kids never to tell anybody they're stupid and not use a stupid word. And that's a really nice thing. Kids, listen to your parents. But be aware that when adults work with each other, there does come a time where we have to say, I did a very stupid thing. I revealed myself to be stupid in what I just did. It's probably not wise to be calling others stupid but I think that you can say, I did a stupid thing without saying, I'm worthless, I'm dumb, I'm stupid. No, you just did something that eh, we didn't need to do that. This, you don't, don't show everybody. As the old expression says, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. There you go. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Wow. Wow. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, a sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions. Many of you are right now going, I know this one. I know this one. Every, you just look over politics in your entire life, and we put who in charge of what? Uh, okay. Uh, while the rich occupy the low ones, I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Okay, <clears throat> we do not have the same reaction to the word slaves and princes that they did. So we're reading their mail from another country and another time, another place. What he's saying is you look at the world and it's like it's purposely built to fail. 
it's looked like it's all set up to go wrong. And you're right. That's the way the world does things. And I'm sorry. But he warns us. We have the way of speaking, which is calm and quiet, because calmness offers, can lay rather, great offense to rest. The way of Jesus isn't the shouting angry way of the mob. Chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. This is very important for all of us, especially somebody like me that makes his living speaking and talking. That's a dangerous way to make your living. Whoever digs a pit may fall in it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs might be in danger by them. Well, we don't use these kind of terms. And so um, sometimes you might hear his mouth wrote a check that his body could not cash. He, you know, Maybe he was bragging that he's a great fighter and somebody took him up on it. Or maybe he told a girl that he's trying to impress that he's very rich and so she wants to be taken to an expensive restaurant and he's caught out. Don't lay out a plan. Don't lay out a trap that's going to catch you. And all traps eventually catch the person that lead them. You might think that's an overstatement. So let me just ask you, where is every great leader who has mistreated others, laid out traps for them from Vlad the Impaler to, uh, to whomever you might want to name. Where are they now? Well, they're dead. Are they beloved? Eh, generally not. Instead, we use them saying, don't be like that guy. We don't like that guy. They were caught. I mean, think of Ceausescu, um, the, the brutal dictator of Romania, um, and, and, how, uh, and, and how he fell, or the, the, the dictator over um, Albania, and how he fell. Think of Mussolini, how he felt. The very people he put up and did all this to were then empowered to kill them. Be very, very careful. Jesus put it a different way. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Judge not, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I determined quite some time ago that my judgment of others was a problem. Uh, I was raised in a church where we felt that was our job. Now we got away with it because later in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, by their fruit, she shall know them. So we, we actually said out loud in public where people could hear us, we're not judges, but we are fruit inspectors. <sighs> I'm so sorry. But I realized judgment of others was an issue. And reading these passages and reading, if you want to receive mercy, you must give mercy, all of these other passages made me realize that I needed to start storing up something in a bank. I needed to store up mercy that would be there when it was my turn, because it has been my turn and it will be my turn to need mercy. There are only two types of people that are listening to this broadcast. Those people that I have disappointed and those people who I will disappoint. None of that's intentional. That's what human beings do. And when we make our living with this, it is a dangerous way to make a living. Therefore, I can remember one time in Michigan, there was a situation you don't need to know any details about it. Think of it like a, an Ecclesiastes 9 story. Don't need the context. The, the shepherds uh, gathered me in there as well. 
there was a situation with one of our families and how do we handle this? And they all went around and then they looked at me and they said, what would you do? And I gave my, what I would do. And it fell firmly on the side of the grace and mercy side. And they thanked me for it. And one of the shepherds looked at me and he goes, now I'm interested. He said, I like what you had to say, but I'm interested. Why did you choose that way? And I responded very truthfully for very selfish reasons. I want mercy to be there for me. Therefore, I have to create a place of mercy for others. It's the only way I can survive this planet is to lay it out there so that others can have it and then give it back when it's my turn. And if I make a mistake in judgment, I want it to be on the mercy side, not on the judging side. If you have a choice, choose mercy. Jesus said that too. That's where I got it from. In fact, all my good stuff I got from this guy. Just be aware. And all the bad stuff I got from me. That's to sort that out, shouldn't it? I think we're all sorted now. Jesus says, be careful about your judgment. Whenever you, you, you might go, the president's stupid or the last president was stupid. President before him was an idiot. And you know that. look at that quarterback. He's, he, he's a complete idiot. Be very careful. Very careful about using these terms because God says that's the way you're going to be judged. Now, he's not very plain in that first part of Matthew 7, whether it's being, he's going to use that on you or the world's going to use it on you, but I don't want either to. So let's be very careful. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 20. As you do not know the path of the wind. Um, sorry, hang on, hang on. I am. I need to move back up. Do not revile the king, even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom. Because a bird in the sky may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. And in case you're wondering, yes, this is where we get that phrase. A little birdie told me. We get that from the Bible. It's amazing how many of our phrases and colloquialisms we get from Scripture. And now that people don't know their Scripture, they, they've lost the context. He's saying, don't even whisper things that you don't want put on a billboard downtown. It'll get there. And now we, we shout things on the Internet. And we post pictures of us doing bad or illegal or silly things online. And then we wonder when we go to get a job, why won't they hire me? Well, they have it. They've got a phone. They can search. They can see. And you might say, but I deleted my account. Nothing said or done on the Internet is ever gone. There are archival works out there, and people go and get them. We need to be very careful what we say and think even in private. I have very strong feelings about many things that you would not be able to guess at. And I've been speaking in public for over 40 years. Why? Because I found out even if you whisper it in a room, eventually it comes out and it goes to a, it goes exactly where you do not want it to go. So be aware. Now we're going to get into a different subject. And so we're going to chop up this chapter in a different way. When I work, by the way, um, with medical professionals, and especially Ohio State has me come up once or twice a year to work for half a day or a day with people that are training to be nursing home administrators. There is a ton of work they've got to do before they can be licensed and take all the tests to become licensed to be a nursing home administrator. And so it should be. 
It should be a profession, not just a job. And they should do it in a professional way. I've been doing this for Ohio State now for, I think, 25, 26 years. One of the things I stress on them is that you have to create a nursing home environment that you want waiting for you when it's your turn. You have to create the world that you want to live in during those times in your life. What kind of staff treatment? What kind of staff? What kind of room? What kind of food? What, what activities should be there? How should people treat you from the janitor on up? Create that world because you're headed there. You might want to store it up and get it out ahead of you. And that's really what Jesus is saying as well here. The teacher wants us now, uh, shifting tack, to stay busy and productive. That's, that's hard. Some of you have lost jobs. Um, some of you are trying to work from home and you've got you know, three kids and a dog. Uh, I, I get this. I really do. My, I've been praying for you. It's been a tough time. But being busy and productive is really what we're, we're meant to do. All through chapters 10 and 11, he'll come back to this theme. So let's hit some of that now. Ecclesiastes 10, verses 15 and 18, and then Ecclesiastes 11, verses 3 and 4. The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. If the clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whenever a tree falls to the south, or whether, I'm sorry, whether a tree falls to the south of the north, in a place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. What is going on? All right, first of all, the phraseology of this is, is pretty intense. The fool, you know, they work, and I'm just so tired of work, I can't wait till the clock's in, I can just leave. Their, their work wearies them rather than enriches them, makes them think. And in fact, they're not thinking because they don't even know the way to town. They're spending their, their life on a hamster wheel, not even thinking. Now you might think, well, that's a job I've got. I work in a factory and I stamp this and move it on. I can be replaced by a machine. Got it. But what are you thinking? What are you learning when you're not there? What are you working on? Keep your mind busy. And his, this other section, he's saying, yeah, the cloud, it's dark, which means it's going to rain. Doesn't mean we need to stand there and stare at it. There are things to get done. Yeah, the tree fell down and it's going to fall down to the north. It's going to fall down to the south. It, that's, that's what trees do. Why don't we work instead of staring at trees? And he, then he wraps it up with that. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Just kind of daydreaming, just kind of not there. Yeah, that's, that's how things fail. It's very similar to Proverbs chapter uh, 30, verses 18 and 19. Um, oh, let's see, I, I skipped one here. Sorry for, our, for our, our slide people. I'm messing up today. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So leave God to do God's stuff. You just do your stuff and be faithful to God. And in Proverbs, it puts it this way. There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a young woman. Now, I'm not going to break all that down. It doesn't really need to be broken down, does it? 
He's just saying there are things in the universe that we do not understand. Are you comfortable with mystery? I'm not saying are you comfortable with ignorance? If you want to study snakes and how they move on rocks, good for you, because that would be information that could come in very handy. But if you don't understand it and that's not your job, don't don't walk through the world thinking it's a puzzle because life is not a mystery to be solved. Life is an adventure to be lived. And it's a choose your own adventure for those of a certain age. Know those books that used to be where you would then have to make a decision and whatever decision you chose, you'd be directed to another place in the book. That's really here, that's for us. Are you ready to make your own decisions and to be comfortable with mystery? Well, you'd better be because a lot of things are pretty mysterious. Jesus brings this up when he talks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus answered, Verily I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? No, we don't. Now, we have a lot more context than Nicodemus does, and we know a lot more of the story, so we can, we can get a lot further down the road than he did. But Jesus is just laying it out for Nicodemus. Part of these things are going to sound strange, and some of the things God does are going to look as weird to you as re-entering your mother's womb. But no, following God means you are really born again in your head. You've got a new way of thinking. You've rebooted your entire psyche. You're now direction, you've got another direction, you've got another purpose, you have new meaning. It's like you were born all over again. We get that. But the process, the wind goes where it goes, the spirit goes where it wants to go, that's a mystery to us. Are we comfortable with mystery? Need to be. Because there's a lot about God he hasn't told us. There's a lot about Jesus that he did not say. There's a lot about life and what happens after that we have not been given. We've been told, trust us. Faith is faith. Faith is not sight. Hmm. You know, atheists rear up at this and say, you're just demanding that we accept this on faith. And you just, you know, without error, hang on, hang on. First of all, in Scripture, we're told that, that faith is substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. And so, yeah, we do look for evidence and substance. It doesn't answer all of our questions, but it gives us enough of a framework that we can move forward. And please, my atheist friends, and they are my friend, wouldn't make fun of them for anything in the world. Not at all. But I want to remind them and remind all of us that everything you know about history the might of Rome, Charles the Hammer, Charles Martel, and everything you know about elements and how they're made, lead and zinc and silver, everything you know about neutrinos or atoms, everything you know about molecules, everything you know about quantum mechanics or how an airplane flies, you know because somebody you trusted told you. And you have faith in what they said because you did not do original research in any of those things. Not a single one. And yet you believe them because they told you and you trust them. 
don't act like Christians are the ones out here thinking, well, I'll just believe where you don't do the same. We believe because we trust who told us. Now, you don't trust who told us. We get that. But don't say that it's blind faith. It's not blind faith any more than you have blind faith when you climb in an airplane or whenever you get in your car and start it. Most scientists I know could not build an engine, do not really understand the internal combustion engine, although it's been with us for a very long time. But they believe enough in it to ride in it. They believe enough in it to go 70 miles an hour on an interstate in it. Faith is not just for Christians. We just choose to also believe some other people we respect and believe and trust. There is great room in our faith for mystery, and there's also great danger and certainty. If you know it all, you don't know it all. You need to allow yourself some room for humility. Arrogance is a sin, and it's perfectly fine to say that you don't know the why or the wherefore of this or that. When somebody attacks God for doing something or for not doing something, it is so tempting to leap to God's defense. But sometimes we need to shrug and say, I don't know, but I still trust him. It's fine. It's fine to say that. Now, last scriptures for today. Ecclesiastes 11, 1, 2, and 6. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will equally do well. I love this, these, these three verses. It says, don't invest everything in one thing. Plan ahead. Be ready. And this isn't just don't put your eggs in, all, you know, in one basket, as your great-grandparents might have said. No, it's, it's, a little, it's a little different than that. It means things such as, yes, if you're investing your money, put it in many ventures, not in one. Somebody comes to you and goes, this is amazing. This is going to go up 1,000 times in the next year, and I'm giving you an end. And you put everything in it? Mm. No, no. Only, in, only risk what you can lose. So we put things very carefully out there in many investments. But there's other, I want to talk especially to our younger people, because some of you, you know, I've had young men come up to me and young women saying, I would like to be a minister and I'd like to do your job of, of pastoring a church and leading a big group. Yay, we need people in this field. And, and they'll say to me, what, what should I do first? And my first response is, learn a trade. Become a nurse. That's a profession, not a trade, but be elastic with me, would you? Become a plumber, an electrician. Uh, somehow develop another skill set. Be an EMT. Get a law degree. Get something solid. And then study. Get your Master of Divinity, if you wish. Uh, a Doctor of Ministry, whatever you want to do. Or just, you know, I studied on my own and was taught by wise people. I have no degrees in this. Why? So that if ministry goes south, if a church breaks up, if a leadership goes sideways, you don't have to go down with the ship because you're not reliant upon them to fund your children's breakfast. You can step away 
and earn another living and then get back to ministry when it's that time. Don't put everything in one slot. Be careful. Let's invest in many. And then share what you've got. Love freely. And I'm just going to close with Ecclesiastes 11. And thank you for spending time with me today. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eye to be the sun. This is a very dark book, but it's about a very dark world. And so walk away with Ecclesiastes 11.7. This world needs the sun. It needs the light. Be that light. Now, we know that unlike the sun, we don't generate our own light. We're like the moon. We reflect the light of a much greater star. You and I, as we go through this world, have a choice this week. We can join in the darkness, stare at the clouds, let everything sag and break because we're just not invest. Or, or we can be the light this world needs. Not that the light originates in us, but that we are a reflection of the light of whom we serve. May God bless you this week. Stay well. Know that you are dearly loved by the staff and leadership at Fourth Avenue Church. If you want to become a member, please email us, send us a comment, and you can be a member from anywhere in the world. If you want to be baptized, COVID or not, we will baptize you. We want you to be saved, full of grace, and to be the light the world needs.